0: The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com. All right, so it's been the running joke now for the last couple months that we continue to go on and on in this series called Jesus. Uh, We have been faithfully walking through uh, this series for the past uh, nine months, and it was actually uh, uh, November 2nd, 2008, uh, that we started this journey, and it started with... Verse 1, chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark, and it said this, The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Our whole heart in this entire journey through his story, his narrative, uh, was to stay focused, stay centered on the person of Jesus. From verse 1 all the way through chapter 16, verse 8, this has all been about Jesus. One of the things that uh, I had, I went back and looked at uh, some of my notes from November 2nd, uh, 2008, uh, just to see how we kicked this thing off. And um, I wrote some of these things down. This was my prayer for myself and all of us as we started this journey uh, through the story of who Jesus was. And right away from verse 1, chapter 1, Mark identifies this is good news. And the good news is Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. We get all of that from just one verse. And so the question throughout is, if He is, in fact, God's Son the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, what on earth will He be like? Why did He come? How long will He stay? What was His message? Who will He spend time with? Who will He invest with? Invest in? So literally for nine months, we have been staying focused on who is this person Jesus. And my prayer request for myself and my prayer request for us as a community was this. Five different things I prayed on November 2nd, 2008, that Jesus would breathe life into your life. And I said, I don't know how you would describe what your life looks like. This is in November. If you were to use some adjectives to describe where you are, what adjectives would you use? Tired, burned out, stressed out, frustrated, lonely. What kind of words would you describe that sum up your life? going through the motions, fast-paced, can't slow down, can't settle down, just keeping my head barely above water. So my prayer was that Jesus, wherever you were in life at that point in time, would literally take your life and breathe life into you. The second one was that you and I, that all of us would be gripped or we would be compelled by the person of Jesus Christ. People who came into contact with the resurrected Jesus Christ, they were totally different. They lived life differently. They thought differently. They acted differently. They spoke differently. People who came into contact with Jesus were gripped. They were compelled to live life differently. That was the second prayer request. The third one was that you'd fall in love with Him. That you would be able to look at Jesus Christ, the one who laid His life down for you, As an act of sacrificial love, and you would be able to, we would be able to respond and say, I love Jesus Christ. The fourth prayer request was that we begin looking and acting like Jesus, much like this guy said. Where are the people who claim to be Christians who actually act like Christ and listen and pay attention and act Christ like? Where are they? That was a prayer request nine months ago is that we as a community, individuals collectively would begin looking and acting like Jesus, meaning we would live our lives very differently. And the fifth and final prayer request was this, that we would declare both in word and deed Jesus to the world around us. That by how we speak and by how we live, we would tell, proclaim who Jesus Christ is. So the question is, was, was, were any of those prayers answered? Now, I realize maybe some of you are here for the first time, and you're like, well, give me a chance. I've been here 20 minutes. Okay, you get another hour. <laughs> some of you have only been here two, three weeks. Some have been here for the entire nine-month journey through this story. Was one or two or three or four or five, were any of those prayer requests Answered in your life. Does your life look any different tonight as you sit here as it did nine months ago when we began? I mean, one of the things we need to be honest with ourselves and ask: Does my life actually look any different than it did a week ago? And how we are living, interacting with God, interacting with ourselves, and interacting with the world uh, around us. Tonight, um, I know that's a hard question. I've been asking myself. What about you, Michael? It's easy to put the question to everyone else. But how different does your life look than it was nine months ago? And I can say, I'm probably going to guess, like many of us, our lives are a work in progress. But are we looking more and more and more like the one we claim to follow? Tonight, uh, we're looking at eight verses, and it's the end of the story. um, And it's actually an end that really causes us to say this is actually not an end to a story it's actually a brand new beginning let me have pray for us and i'm going to put a pretty tough question out there for all of us to wrestle with as we start jesus this is about you this story has been about you i thank you that mark faithfully recorded who you were who you are what you did what you said your teachings the miracles the healings Jesus, I thank You that for nine months we have been able to interact with You through the pages of Mark's Gospel. And tonight, in the closing message, in the closing verses of this story, really the crux of this whole thing, I pray, God, that uh, tonight, because of what You would do in this place, all of us would be changed. All of us would be different because we've interacted with you, Jesus Christ, who is alive. I pray, God, tonight that we would respond to anything and everything that you would have to say to us in this place. I pray that in Jesus' name. This is the question. What's going to happen to you when you die? Kind of a morbid question. You probably don't go around asking people at work that question. So I was thinking, what are you going to do when you die? It might not be a question that people like in the church wrestle with, but what I've discovered just this past week, it's a question that people uh, who don't go to church actually wrestle with and actually think about. They think about life after death. So I want to put this question to you, to all of us. What happens when you die? Okay, I don't have to convince all of us that you're going to die one day. Hopefully, a lot of us will live long enough uh, to walk with God many, many years and see Him do phenomenal things, but there will come a point that breath will no longer be a reality for you. So what happens? Heaven? You're going to heaven? You're going to hell? Some people believe in a place called purgatory where... It's kind of the place you didn't do so great here, but not good enough to go to hell, not good enough to go to heaven, so you're kind of stuck in that middle place. And if you work that thing out, then maybe something new, would, uh, a new destination would become a reality. Maybe some of you are just like, yeah, six feet under, and that's, that's it. And maybe some would say, I actually have no clue what happens when I die. So... For you personally, not your neighbor, not the people you live with or work with, but the question is, what will happen to you when you die? The, the question that Mark is putting before us in these eight verses, it's going to force us to wrestle with this very tough question, and it's the question of what happens after we die? What's next? Where do you go? If you answer the question, and basically to some, is there life beyond death? If there is life beyond death, if you say, yes, there is life beyond death, then how? Or who? Like, how do you know that you will have life beyond death? And can you actually have any level of assurance that if you die, there is actual life? Like 50%, 80%, 99.9%. Is there anyone that could have 100% assurance if you go home tonight, hit by a bus, you're gone, flattened, leveled, that you could have 100% assurance that you know where you're going to go? If you say no, that there is no life after death, you will have to wrestle with an even deeper question. What's the point? If there is nothing beyond this life, then What's the point? Is our our life just really kind of the brunt of a big cosmic joke? Like, where is the meaning and where is the purpose in all of that? Why care? Like, if there is really no life after death, then why on earth would anyone care? Why on earth would anyone love? If your life is just a sum total of 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and that's it then why? what would motivate us to love, to care, to engage, to serve, to love people? So Paul, the Apostle Paul, who had an incredible interaction with a Jesus who is alive, basically in 1 Corinthians 15 summed this whole thing up and said, Some people don't believe in resurrection. Some people don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, don't believe that Jesus Christ is resurrected. And he goes on to say, if Jesus Christ, in fact, has not resurrected from the dead, life is utter meaningless. Like, if there is no life after death, then life is... we're just left to kind of fend for ourselves and figure it all out. So, how do you answer this question? Is there life... After death. So if you say no, you're going to have to wrestle with a bunch of other questions like hope and meaning and purpose, value, significance, and worth. But if you say yes, that there is life after death, and as we're going to take a look tonight at the person of Jesus, then it's going to give people who believe that there is life after death a reason to live for someone far greater than themselves and a reason to give themselves to a greater mission to help the world around you, around us, introduce people to the person who conquered death and brings us into life. Final verse uh, verses in Mark chapter 8 deals with this very subject of life and death and resurrection, heaven and hell. There is a philosopher... Um, by the name of uh, Ludwig uh, Wittgenstein. Um, And his quote is pretty interesting, because if there is really no life after death, then I would have to say I agree with what this guy said, a famous 20th century philosopher. If he did not, speaking of Jesus, if he did not rise from the dead, then he decomposed in the grave like any other man. He is dead and decomposed. In that case, he is a teacher like any other and can no longer help. And once more, we are orphaned and alone. So we have, to, uh, we have content to content ourselves with wisdom and speculation. We are in a sort of hell where we can do nothing but dream, roofed in, as it were, and cut off from heaven. If Jesus is not alive, if He is just dead, decomposing six feet under in a place where He was never found, then we are a people without hope. We are a people who are cut off. That's what He says. If you missed last week, um, the message that we saw and heard was really a message of the cross. Cross. And this is the point I wanted to uh, share with you from last week, at least. Uh, If you were to look at Mark chapter uh, 15, read a few verses for you. Mark chapter 15. Starting verse 42 says this, "...it was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, so as evening approached Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died." When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, placed it in a tomb, cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. I read that to you because I wanted to emphasize Jesus is dead. It was very clear by the close of Mark chapter 15, he died. A man who lived life so well. A man who did nothing but care, love, serve, teach, come alongside the people who were utterly rejected. What humanity did to Jesus was to spit on him, to mock him, to deny him, to abandon him, to brutally blame murder him, nail him to a cross. And while he was on the cross, naked with no skin left on his body because he was flogged, people continued to hurl insults at him, challenging him, saying, if you really are the Son of God like you claim to be, then come down. Jesus Christ died. By the end of chapter 15, he is dead. A centurion is a Roman guard who knows death well because he's killed many people, so he knows what a dead body looks like. I, can, I can't even fathom what this would have been like for the disciples. Some of us have dealt with devastation. Some of us have had dreams absolutely shattered. You thought you were going to do something here, circumstances changed, and it was the complete opposite over here. I'm talking about like devastation of epic proportion. This is what the disciples were dealing with. They had given their entire life to this person, Jesus. They had followed Him, albeit they messed up many times. They had given their entire life to this man. He had pumped their head and their heart full of dreams, that the kingdom of God was near, was coming, was here in the person of Jesus, they thought for sure that life would be different because of Jesus. And then he's dead. Imagine just for a moment what that would have been like for these men, these women who so closely followed him, and he's gone. If you've never gone through a disaster before, keep on living, it will happen. All of us at some point in time will go through a devastating, disastrous relationship, circumstance, something. The question that they are wrestling with, the question that we are faced to wrestle with, is there life beyond devastating circumstances? They staked everything on the person of Jesus. Can we find life on the other side? And I don't just mean of death, but can we find life on the other side of devastation? Mark chapter 16 verse 1 says this, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Jesus was killed on Friday, dead by Friday night, his body was taken to a tomb, Saturday was in the grave. Saturday is Sabbath. So Sunday would be the first day where someone could go and care for Jesus' body. What I find ironic here is for three years, Jesus tried to teach people about the Sabbath. And that caring for someone and doing the right thing, doing a good thing, is not breaking Sabbath law. But no one would dare break Sabbath law and go care for Jesus the next day because it was Sabbath. And so the story goes on in verse 2 and 3. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Verse 4, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. They didn't have much of a plan. They just knew that they were going to take care of Jesus' body. And just so you know what that actually means, is His body would be decaying now. His flesh would be rotting. It would be a, a terrible stink, or stank maybe is the right word. It would be an awful smell coming from this tomb, decaying flesh, torn from bones. And so they were going to take care of and put uh, oils on Jesus' body to care for Him. And they'd think to themselves, okay, we're a few women here, Uh, this is a rather large stone, we didn't think this all the way through. Like, how is this going to happen? I've always found it interesting, I don't know if you've thought of this, but Jesus told people three specific times, I will die, it won't be pretty, but... I will rise again. I would like to think that I would have been one of these people who would have camped out just at the tomb. Just to hang out and be like, come on, he said something was going to happen. Why don't we just hang out here with these Roman guards, hope they don't do anything to us. Like I'm amazed that no one besides these Roman guards just camped out that night before. On Saturday, just to go and just to see. These women came with no expectation, with no hope that Jesus actually would be alive. They came actually to take care of a dead body. As they entered the tomb, now this is also kind of interesting, the, the, the rock is rolled away, okay? What would you have done? This is like the bad horror movie where like you see blood all over the house. And you're like, don't go in the house, it's not going to go well for you. But yet the person in this movie is like, intriguing, I must go find out what's happening in this house. And then they get chopped up. (laughs) These women, a tomb is with a dead person, right? Okay, The stone is rolled away. There's a moment in time here where they're like, should we run away now or should we go check out? Should we enter into the tomb to see what's going on? They chose the latter. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. This word alarm means they were freaked out. There was amazement coupled with fear. Imagine going into this tomb, expecting to see a dead, rotting corpse, and you see a young man dressed in white, most likely in angelic appearance, Well, this is not what we expected to find here this morning. Mark 16, verse 6. He says, don't be alarmed. I want you to catch this. Mark is so quick. He is so short. When Jesus was crucified, you know how he described the entire event? They crucified him. That's it. No detail. No big explanation. They crucified him. In one verse... Verse 6, he sums up the entire Easter message. And what I love about this message is the first eyewitness and first earwitnesses are these women. Just so you know, people didn't really think too highly of women in first century. Property, not people. But Jesus did not see women as property. He saw them as people. And the first people to, to be eyewitnesses of an empty tomb and to be first ear witnesses of a gospel message are these women. And this is it. Verse 6, You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid Him. That's it. That's the Easter message. Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He was crucified. He was dead, but now He's alive. He's not here. He used to be right here, but He's no longer here. Can you imagine what that would have done to your heart and your head? But we saw Him. He was a bloody mess. Can you imagine what it would be like if you came to my funeral on Friday? You were there. You saw someone hopefully say one nice thing about me. You saw me open casket. You came, you paid your respects. You went to the graveside. You saw my body physically be lowered in a casket into the ground. And then you just decide to come to church on Sunday. And hes I'm sitting right here. What would that do to you? What? We saw you... Physically saw you die. This is the message they hear. Sometimes we read it too quickly and don't comprehend the gravity of this verse. You are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. He was there, right there where they laid Him, but He's alive. And people who are living don't hang out in tombs. He goes on, and anytime there is a proclamation of, in Scripture of good news, do you know what the next thing, the next command that is given? God is a missional God. And the second that there is good news proclaimed or preached, it says, go, go tell someone. And this is verse 7, go. Just, we hear these words, but we refuse to obey them. The challenge, the charge, was to go. Don't wait. Don't think about it. Don't try to comprehend it. Don't try to understand it. Jesus is alive. He's not here. He was risen. Now the message is, go. And I love what this angel says to these women. Go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Can I just tell you, one more thing we learn about Jesus is if you have messed up, you're not counted out. If you have denied Him, if you have doubted Him, if you have abandoned Him, it's not over. Jesus could have been resurrected from the dead and said, Forget these guys, chumps. I'm going to go get a new band of disciples and start this whole thing over again. But He says, I'm going to stake it all the message of I am alive on these men. Talk about a Jesus, a God of second, third, fourth, and many chances. Go to the disciples, especially Peter, because he's probably feeling like a complete idiot. He said he didn't even know who Jesus was. To a little girl. He looks at a little girl and says, Yeah, um, you frighten me. You might kick me. And uh, I don't know who Jesus is. Starts calling curses upon himself. I swear to God, I do not know who this Jesus is. I can imagine the little girl be like, Alright, chill out. Okay? It's just a question. The angel says, Go, tell the disciples and tell Peter that He is going ahead of you, He's going to be in Galilee. And what I love about Galilee, this is where it all started. This is the place where the disciples, where Peter heard those words that changed his life forever. Peter, come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. No longer will you give your life to fishing for things that are dead. You will give yourself to fishing for things that are alive. Jesus goes ahead of them to Galilee. The women, this is an ending to the story that has been talked about, fought about, and wrestled with throughout the centuries. This is how Mark closes his story. Trembling, trembling, and bewildered. Before you look at these women be like, what? How could they tremble and, and be so confused and scared? What would you do? Like, be honest. You showed up to take care of a dead body. You're greeted by an angel, and the angel says, you know, this is kind of a weird start to your first day of the week. <laughs> like, this is doesn't typically happen. So Mark says trembling and bewildered the women went out and they fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid okay as we continue the gospel story we know that they were not silent for the rest of their lives mark records their first reaction was to be in fear and to be speechless and so they left the scene we know as we look at Matthew and Luke and John's Gospel that they did in time go and report to the disciples. And Peter and John sprint, have a running race to see who could get there first. So these women's first reaction was one of trembling, bewilderment, one of fear that rendered them speechless. The question this is That's it. Now, if you look, I'm not going to take the time to, to get into uh, what people have come to call the long ending of Mark. The long ending, meaning if you look at your Bible translations, every single English Bible translations will say verse 9 through verse 20 uh, were not in the original autographs or original manuscripts. First century, second century, third century church fathers wrestled with this. How can we end the story like this? Mark didn't finish. And so they added different verses, 9 through 20, to the story. And as we have found through the centuries, different manuscripts, 9 through 20, were not part of the original manuscript. People scrambled to figure out, Mark can't end the story like this. As abruptly as it starts, Jesus Christ, good news, Son of God is the Christ, kicks off His story that way. He ends His story by saying, no one did anything. They walked away in fear and were speechless. Why does He end His story like this? I said this... I don't know, 20 minutes ago, 25 minutes ago, and said, this is not necessarily the end of the story, but it ultimately is the beginning of the story. Mark is drawing you and I, the original audience, into the story, and it's not so much what they did, it's a question of what will you and I do. Mark wants his audience, he wants his readers to wrestle with what will you do? If Jesus is alive, then what are you going to do about that? Will you not say anything? Will you be speechless? Will your fear drive you to run away rather than to run to? His story invites us into the story to say, what about you? Will this story go on? I'm going to do this incredibly quick. But, so what? This is the question I'll finish with. So what? So Jesus is alive. What does it matter? Some of you have heard that truth more than one time. Some of you are hearing it for the very first time. The question I want us to wrestle with is, so what? I read Scripture and I see any person who came into contact with Jesus who was alive, they just were different. Their life was completely transformed. I'm okay to wrestle with a question for myself, Is that happened to me? Am I different because Jesus is alive? Remember, if Jesus is not alive, the tomb had more than just an angel in it, a dead body in it, then what's the point? But if you believe, as Scripture teaches, and as I believe with all my heart, I die for this truth, that Jesus is alive, I have to wrestle with You have to wrestle with, does your life look actually any different because of this one amazing gospel, good news, truth, that Jesus Christ is alive? This is the so what factor. And I'm going to give you three things that happens. First one is, if you believe that Jesus Christ is in fact alive, Your relationship with God is changed forever. Your relationship with yourself is changed, and your relationship with humanity, with your world, the people around you. Because of the fact, the truth, the reality that Jesus is alive, you stand different before God. You stand different with yourself. And you stand different with the world you live in. If I can, I'm going to read a lot of Scripture. I typically stick with just a few verses. Tonight I felt compelled to share with you um, an array of a few different verses that speak to this reality. And I pull these from the New Testament because it's the reality when people came to understand that Jesus is alive, things changed. Their world changed. First thing is, your relationship with God changes. Romans 4.25 He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Because Jesus is alive, you and I stand justified. We are made right with God. One of Jesus' final words on the cross was, It is finished. When Jesus exited the tomb, it was as if people could hear God saying, you are right, it is finished. The cross, forgiveness of sins, resurrection, Jesus or Paul says, was raised to life for our justification. And not only are we justified, I want you to hear this. You want to know what happens to you if you die. I'll give you two options, heaven and hell. There is no place called purgatory. There is no place where you're just six feet under. And there is no place just for saying, it doesn't matter. There is a reality of a place called heaven, and there is a reality of a place called hell, i.e. eternal torment. This is what Scripture says, 1 Corinthians, By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead. He will raise us also. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even though he dies there is hope beyond death and whoever lives and believes in me will never die either resurrected to eternal life with god and jesus the holy spirit the entire trinity in heaven or raised to eternal damnation hell separated from god forever second timothy here is a trustworthy saying paul says if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. We are justified because with God because of the empty tomb. And because Jesus is alive, those who place their hope, their faith, their trust in a living Jesus, they are alive as well. So that if you were to die tonight, the only chance that I have to live in heaven with God is, is because of Jesus. John 6.40 says this. This is the invitation that Jesus gives. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. Listen to this promise. I will raise Him up on that last day. Your position, your relationship with God is changed because Jesus is alive. Second one is it changes our relationship with you meaning how you relate to yourself, who you are. Your personhood is changed. And I, I love this is if Jesus is alive, that means I can't live however I want to live anymore. I can't live just because I think I'm my own God or something. I can't be at the center of my world. If Jesus Christ is in fact alive, that changes things. Romans 6.4, We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 2 Corinthians, I love this. Therefore, if anyone, if anyone, everyone has a chance, everyone has a shot, if anyone covers all people, If anyone is in Christ, not just like in good spiritual standing, or not a good person, but if anyone is in Jesus, if anyone is in right relationship with Him, He is a new creation, old is gone, the new has come. The resurrection means, I'm not the same person I used to be. He goes on, Galatians 2.20, this is Paul. I've been crucified with Christ... I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Meaning, I will not make my life about me. This is what the resurrection does. It rescues you from you. And I would venture to say there's many people in here tonight who need to be rescued from yourself because your eyes are so fixated on the person who looks at you in the mirror every single day. A Jesus who is alive and living rescues you from making your life about you. And can I just be bold enough to say, if that is you, you you're wasting your life. Do not live another second of this day making your life just about you. Philippians, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way, be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. Listen to Paul's words here. This is powerful. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Either way, I get Jesus. If I live, I get Jesus. If I die, I get Jesus. As a good friend of mine, Mr. Mark Mulvaney would say, it's all good. If I live... I get Jesus. If I die, I get Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is alive. It changes how I relate to myself. And lastly, John fifteen 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Some of us are struggling in life Not bearing much fruit, meaning we don't see much difference in our life. If you were here nine months ago when we prayed and said, God, would our life look different in this journey? And now we've come to the end of this journey. And you're like, I just don't see much fruit. I wonder if you are living to prove Jesus wrong. If Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, our attitude and pride could be, I'm going to show you I can Actually, my new mission in life is to show you, Jesus, I can and I will. That person will not only be unfaithful to Jesus, will, but, but will be incredibly fruitless. Jesus says, apart from me, you can't do anything. Because Jesus is alive, I don't have to do anything apart from Him, and I can see much fruit, much change, much growth in my personhood. And lastly, our relationship with God changes, our relationship with ourselves changes, and thirdly, our relationship with humanity changes. Meaning, I look at the world, meaning I look at people very differently. I want people to know if this is truly good news, then don't we want people to know about who God is, that there is hope beyond death, that the disasters of life, no matter how epic, Or small, that there is life on the other side of disasters, including death. Here's a question. I've asked this question before, but if it was just up to you, you personally, would the gospel still be going on a year from now? If the gospel was just entrusted to you, I mean the good news that Jesus is alive. How many people in your world would actually know of that reality. Put it on our church. If it was just up to Genesis, would the gospel still be around decades to come? Because there were faithful people who said, my relationship with God is different. I stand justified with Him and He's given me life. And my, my, my personhood, my character has changed so much so, I'm not going to make it about me, I'm going to make it about the gospel, about Jesus. So much so that how I view humanity has ultimately changed. We toss around the word mission a lot. Live missional. In verse 6 and 7, or verse 7, the message was go. Jesus' last words to disciples, go. We have permission. We have a message. We've been empowered. We don't do it alone. Here's another tough question. Well, I'm going to save that one. Let me finish by reading this verse. and This is uh, 2 Corinthians. This is uh, the Apostle Paul was speaking, and um, he says this. I just want you to listen. This is going to be a few verses, and then we're just going to go and go for it and worship and respond into God. I've told you before, our relationship with God changes, our relationship with ourselves changes, and our relationship with people change. The Apostle Paul, many people would just consider him a nut job. Like, he was crazy, he was too intense. But when someone came to have such a powerful interaction with someone who was alive, but he was dead, but now alive... His life forever changed. And this is what he says. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5. If we are, start at verse 13. If we are out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. I just want you to hear verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. You ever been compelled by something? Like where you just, you had to do it. It didn't make sense to you maybe, it didn't make sense to the world around you, but you were so convinced, you were so compelled that you just moved forward. Paul was so convinced and compelled that God's love for him was so amazing that he wanted the world around him to know that Jesus is alive and Jesus loves all. He says in verse 14, For Christ's love compels us, Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And He died for all. Please listen to this. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. That we would not live for ourselves, but we would live for the One who has raised us up to life with Him. So from now on, we regard no one, from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, new creation, old is gone, new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Are you thankful that God does not look at you and say, I'm just going to kill you because you're rebellious? Are you thankful that God looks at you and says, I love you and I will provide a way for forgiveness to be a reality in your life? For those of you who don't know God, I want you to know that God is crazy about you. Crazy enough to show up in the person of Jesus Christ to demonstrate just how much... You are loved by Him. This is the challenge to us. That God, verse 19, was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and He is committed to us. This is our job. The ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. Listen to Paul's language. We implore you, In the Greek language, this is a picture of someone who is on their knees begging the audience to listen. I am begging you, I am imploring you, be reconciled to God. Because Jesus went to a cross, had victory over death, this is the message that we can be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in that time of my favor, I heard you. And in that day of salvation, I helped you. Listen to verse 2. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Some of you need to cross over from death to life. And the only way that, that becomes a reality is when you confess that Jesus has for what Jesus has done on the cross, what Jesus has done in the resurrection, is sufficient to make you justified right with God. Our relationship with Jesus is changed. Our relationship, our standing with God is changed. Our relationship with ourself is changed. And our relationship with humanity and how we view humanity is changed. That we would become His ambassadors. That we would look at the world and say, my heart, my passion, my love, my commitment, my compulsion, my conviction is to say, God has made possible that we would be reconciled to Him. Tonight, I want all of us to stand. We're going to get ready to worship. I'm going to pray. And if there is someone here tonight who has not asked Jesus to become your God, that you have not been reconciled to God, you don't have any assurance that if you did die tonight, that heaven would not be a reality for you. I just want you to in this moment cry out to God and say, Save me, a sinner. I don't deserve it, but by grace I receive Jesus Christ. And for those who are here and have embraced that message, would you beg God to fill you with courage and conviction and passion? And would someone beg God for our community that we would be a community that say we will not settle for anything less but saying we're going to love the world around us with the gospel, that we will be ambassadors. We will not make this about us. I do not want to live one more moment of my life making it about me. I do not want this church to go on focused on us. Can we please ask God that He would take this community and do something beautiful, that we would truly reach a world with good news? Father God, please, if there's someone here tonight who does not know You, God, might tonight be the night of their salvation that they would cross from death to life From unforgiven sin to sin that is completely covered and forgiven. God, I pray for just every individual that is here tonight, those that are Christians, those that have made a decision to follow you, Jesus, that we would follow you. And not just so in lip service, but we would be filled with courage and passion and conviction and joy that we have the greatest news. God, I'm begging you for our community that you would do something in us and through us. That this world around us would look different because of you. God, please receive our worship of you. You are worthy of it. Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.